we fall in lust at first sight. Mm -hmm. We don't fall in love at first sight because butterflies, the kind that you're talking about, is actually the body's warning signal. Dr. Laura Berman, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be with you. I am so amped about today. And I want to start with someone is going on a date. Mm -hmm. and maybe it's like the first date, but they're like feeling the feels and they meet them and they feel the butterflies and they're like, oh my God, it feels like I've known this person for my entire life. You say run. I say run. I know. Isn't that crazy? Because butterflies, the kind that you're talking about, is actually the body's warning signal. And more often than not, when we feel like we've known someone in that way, I met him and it feels like I've, he feels so familiar to me or she feels like I've known her my whole life. Yeah, that's because they are embodying your wounds, right? So we're always going to, until we heal ourselves, which most of us, let's face it, haven't done, you know, many of us are starting to now. Uh, if we haven't healed those wounds, then we are always going to get those butterflies and feel that deep recognition with someone who is going to play out those wounds with us. Always. We fall in lust at first sight. Mm -hmm. We don't fall in love at first sight. We fall in love at first insight, right? And it feels like, it feels like peace. Love does. Love feels like peace. And lust feels like? excitement and, and, and you want both mm. in a good relationship but the butterflies and the intensity and like oh my god that is wounds talking so talk to me then about the chemistry because to me it would seem like you would want chemistry yes. when you go on that first date so how do you differentiate between the signals your body's telling you between chemistry and butterflies because i would have before i looked into you would have put them in the same bucket. yeah well the butter i mean it's also where they are in your body right the butterflies are here that's anxiety. That's your body's warning system. The, um, you know, I joke with my husband, you know, when he does the dishes or does something that really turns me on, I always say, oh, my uterus just contracts. <laughs> but it's because that's really what it feels like. It feels sexual excitement is more down here and up here, right? And emotional connection and excitement is in your heart. You know, my, my girlfriends joke about their vaginas clapping. You know, they're like, oh, he made my vagina clap. But you have that feeling. You have that feeling. And you also are objectively looking at that person and you say, wow, he or she or they are hot. Like, I find you attractive. And then you kiss them and especially smell them. And then you know if you're really physically, chemically attracted. And so many people forgo the chemical attraction because that person checks everything on their box and is such a great person that they don't really feel that chemistry. And it's so, that's what really sees you through, I think, the hard times. I love the way that you broke that down because it allows people to, when they go into a um, relationship, especially at the beginning, um, you know, we, we kind of, like to trust ourselves yeah. and we like to trust like oh my heart it's like it beats fast that must mean that i like them and so really where are those almost traps that we're putting ourselves in yes. um and so you mentioned it obviously is a reflection of past traumas yes so talk to me about i believe you call it love maps yeah well so when i talk about trauma you know there's big t trauma and little t trauma we all have traumas times our boundaries weren't respected times we were neglected hyper criticized abused to differing degrees, emotionally, physically, sexually, all three, God forbid, right? But we all have some degree of trauma, whether we have those big T traumas or not. And when, and, and they're almost like, um, I, I almost envision them, and many people who, who practice shamanic medicine say this too, that they're, when every time we're traumatized in these really intimate ways, and I don't mean just sexually, I mean emotionally, and in terms of our connection to how worthy of love we are, mm -hmm. right? It's like a part of ourselves go into a little shock bubble and stay there, right? So when I'm looking at you, it's, or you're looking at me, you know, there's all of these little parts of you from all those times that Lisa was disregarded, rejected, all, any kind of traumas that you experience that are kind of stuck at that same point. Mm -hmm. And so what happens in our dating life is that you know, let's just give a typical example and, and therapists, you know, call this repetition compulsion. But let's take a woman who was raised in a home where one or both parents had addiction 
And she grows up and is like, I am never going to marry. I'm not going to marry anyone or even date anyone who has any history of addiction or shows any sign that he or she drinks too much or does. I don't even want to be with someone who does drugs. Like, forget it. I'm not going anywhere near that. And gets those butterflies and feels that recognition. And he doesn't drink and he doesn't do drugs or he has a few glasses of wine and nothing. Turns out he's a gambling addict, you know, down the line. Because we unconsciously smell that connection of our wound. Now here's what's underneath repetition compulsion. The reason it's compulsive is because we're unconscious of it. And what the unconscious wish is, is that this time I'm gonna get it right. Mm, Yeah. I'm gonna resolve it. Yeah. You know, it's I'll be enough that the the unconscious, the conscious is saying, oh, he doesn't drink, he doesn't do drugs. The unconscious saying, oh, goody, here's someone who I can feel addiction in. I know addiction really well. I bathed in it for 21 years, you know, in my childhood, Mm -hmm. right? So I'm feeling this and sensing this, but this time I'm gonna be lovable enough and worthy enough that that this person is gonna change for me. Ooh, so how on earth do you um, make your subconscious speak loudly so that you can actually see it or hear it so that you know when these things arise? Because to your point, it's like if you're not so aware or you have these tips, I can understand why. If you yeah. say, I'm not going to I'm not gonna be with someone with this and you talk to them, you ask them questions. Like, yes. Oh, so you don't drink, okay? Yeah, check. check. Right, yeah. yeah. Now, how on earth do you know when your subconscious then is trying to trick you into believing they're different. Because you have butterflies. Okay, so take me through it. So you have the butterflies. You have the butterflies and you're feeling this intensity that we mistake because of the movies and Hollywood Mm -hmm. and everything else for love. It's lust, that's fine. You are attracted to this person, right? And you can ask them all the questions, but it's, it's two things. It's one, let's just put a pin in the first one, really recognizing that the only way you can create healthy love in your life is starts with you. You, The more healthy you are, the more healthy of a partner you're going to be a match for, Mm -hmm. period. That's just always how it works. But also, just on a practical level, whether you've done that healing work or not, is to move slowly and consciously and to be what I call embodied. Because so often we get up here, we're already like walking down the aisle with that person or thinking about what our kids are going to look like, you know, on our first date. And we're getting all excited because we've gone on so many dud dates and there've been so many losers. And now I'm, you know, feeling all this intensity and you get rushed, you rush into it and you get carried away. If you were to move slowly and stay in your Mm -hmm. body and be aware of those body signals, it doesn't mean that the minute you feel butterflies, you go running out the door and don't ever talk to that person again. But ding, 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 that's a red flag right Mm -hmm. so now I'm gonna sit with that for a minute and just be curious I'm not gonna run but I'm also not gonna run toward this right but here's a warning sign happening what am I warning about because what I find is when people stay with themselves even if they come back later because you can't necessarily go in deep while you're you know sitting having drinks (laughs) with someone you just met but later right I teach people to just really ground and I have all sorts of meditations that I guide people through, but I teach them to get really in their bodies, which most of us aren't, and feel what's there. And your body will literally, you can say to yourself, okay, when I think about this person, I'm feeling all this fluttering, all this mm. intensity. And you can ask it, like, what, what is this about? What is the first time I felt this? What, what do you want, right? And you will immediately get, oh, this is your dad or this is your uncle or or you need to run or this there's something wrong not right in this dynamic and what we're taught to do in this society is to is to work around our gut not listen to it (laughs) that's so true um so what happens then if you do these practices right and you really start to work on yourself i think there's a phase where you almost because of your past experiences, because you thought, oh, I trusted my gut and look where yeah. it ended up. Yeah, you yeah. broke my heart. I'm, you know, it took me a year to get over them. Yes. So now the opposite happens where no one's like, it's like, oh my God, I can't even trust yeah, anything. I'm not gonna open up to anyone, yeah. right? Then you have to really address, there's two things. One is addressing the past trauma of that abandonment. And the only reason, you know, people always say, how come it's been three years and I still can't get over my ex? It's, it's not about your ex. It has nothing to do with your ex. It's that that ex's rejection and abandonment or cheating on you or whatever it was they did to you that destroyed the relationship is really familiar. It's a very old wound 
that happened to you long ago that this person triggered and that's why you're stuck there, right? So anytime you're stuck in resistance or in not being able to get over someone, it is rarely about them. My God, that is so true. So before I met my husband, I dated a guy for about three to four years. So it was like I had one long-term relationship, had a break, and then I met my yeah. husband. And I remember every time we were together, it was torture. We argued all the time. He was a cruel person. He was emotionally abusive. And then every time we would split up, I would miss him. And mm -hmm. I would remind myself of all the wonderful times that we had. Um, and so in the, it never dawned on me, though, that there was the thing that I was missing. It wasn't him, right. but it was the emotion around the him. And it was also... I think, and this is just me guessing, I don't know the details of your childhood or history, but it was that longing to, it, the fantasy that I'm gonna be enough. I, if I could just be enough, if I could be more of something or less than something, then he wouldn't hurt me this way, mm. right? I get these weird senses when I talk to people, right? But I would say for you, the most conscious memory is probably when you were around five or six, when you first started getting this sense that you were, you were too much of something or not enough of something in order to be worthy of approval and love, acceptance and connection. A thousand percent. So I was teased, I was um, bullied at school, yeah. I was made fun of, the, the popular kids tricked me into this whole thing. And mm -hmm. so it's like I absolutely had utter insecurity, didn't feel worthy, um, and um, really did seek for validation. Yes. And I think that the second um, I met my ex-boyfriend was actually the moment where my um, unhealthy eating started mm -hmm. because I thought, oh, well, I'm developing as a woman. And now the one thing that I was was skinny. And so yes. now I wasn't skinny anymore. So then I started to worry that, oh my God, now I'm not gonna get- I don't have anything to offer. Yeah, so like I was seeking the validation in, in him. Yes. and. What I love is that you're able to break that down. And so for someone listening right now, um, do you suggest they go back into the first seven years of their life and figure out what the wound, like how does yeah. someone well, start? Well, everyone's to trauma happens differently. For some people it happened in high school. For some people it was even pre-conscious. But it, for me, and this is really, the, honestly, the way my career has mm. evolved over the years, I, you know, my kids when they were little used to call me a talking doctor because I'm a talk therapist. But I actually do, I've become a talking doctor who is much more about communicate, you communicating with your own body, I'm much more somatic mm. than verbal <laughs> now in my work because I've learned not only in my own personal life, but in my professional life, that that is where trauma healing is found. What I find is that there are all these little parts of ourselves that we have just pushed away and shoved into the dark basement and there's like monsters there and we don't want to look there and it's, it's just like a basement filled with shame that I'm not enough, I'm not worthy enough, I'm not lovable enough, I, I'm, I'm just not lovable, I'm not worthy. And what happens is that you just obviously, you don't even want to go there. But when you finally do, which often happens through the body and connect and really tuning into the sensations because the body is holding on to that, right? Mm -hmm. That's even what causes disease. It's dis-ease. It's the way our body is holding on to these past wounds. When you are willing to go in there and look at it, and it does take some bravery because that shit's been in the basement a long time. Once it's exposed to the light, it evaporates. There's so much of our shame that rules our life and that we carry because we're unwilling to look at it. And when we finally look at it with the consciousness we are now, mm -hmm. which is very different than that seven-year-old, 10-year-old, four-year-old, when we look at it now, we're like, no, that's not true. That's not true about you. That's not true about what happened. And all of a sudden it's like that, once it's exposed to the light, shame almost always evaporates. Wow, um, I've never heard it. The, sh the basement of shame that really hit me when you said that because I think so many of us carry that with us and we don't want to admit it. We don't want, like you said, we're, like, well, I don't even have a basement. You pretend, yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, I have the basement. basement. Um, so I think that that's super powerful. So is that where attachment styles come from? Is it mm -hmm. from the, the basement of shame that we haven't addressed? Yeah, Our, those early wounds. Um, I mean, I can tell you like with any attachment style, it, it started, with the wounds of neglect, wounds of emotional abuse and hypercriticism, um, you know, wounds of, of addiction, you know, for, for the child who was raised mm -hmm, by those people, mm -hmm. right? So someone who's got um, 
an avoidant person, avoidant attachment style would be more of someone who's a little, uh, would be, you know, coined more narcissistic acting, right? So their wounds are more around hypercriticism mm. and abandonment, but a lot of like, you're bad, you're wrong, you don't, you know, and, and the adults around you not being in control and not protecting you. So you have to kind of step in. The only one who can keep you safe is you. And you, and in adulthood, that's still driving the bus. Well, wow, so how do you take, once you've assessed that, once you've assessed your trauma and you acknowledge where your attachment styles mm -hmm. are, how do you start to, I don't want to say unwind, but how do you start to maybe detach yourself from yeah. all of your past history and not as in ignore it or shove it under yeah, yeah. a rug, right? But actually work through it so that you can then begin to start having a um, successful relationship, whether you're just starting your relationship or yes. whether you're in the middle of your relationship. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a great question. I think, you know, I like to talk to the people that I teach and work with about this idea of like inviting your wounds to tea, you mm. know, having tea with them and making friends with them and, and wanting to understand them. Because once you do, when you come at it as the consciousness of the adult you are now, right, this one, mm you and you can look at and talk to those wounds you know inside yourself like you would a child or a best friend there's an integration that happens and there's also a um and a level of awareness that happens because once you've looked at it and you've put it on the table and you've interacted with it it's no longer in the basement mm -hmm. it's no longer in your unconscious mind you know it's it's the same thing that I almost do with people who have a lot of inhibitions, right, in the bedroom. And we will, we'll get into that later. But I'll often have them list all the things that they believe a nice girl or a good man or whatever that is do and don't do. In the bedroom. In the bedroom. Yeah. All the shoulds about that and shouldn'ts. And then in the next column, where did that message come? Like, where'd you get that story? <laughs> Oh, it was when my aunt caught me playing with myself and told me I was wrong, bad, or dirty, and I just always remembered that. Now it's outside of you, right? Now, which of these do you, as the adult you are now, still really believe about yourself and want to proactively subscribe to? Maybe three things on that list, right? So now every time that story comes up, and it's the same thing with shame, every time that story comes up, now it's in your conscious awareness. Now you're like, oh, there's that little cute, boo-boo from the basement coming up and making me want to, you know, yell at my partner right now or making me want to, you know, not really see this red flag. So you start to recognize once it's outside of you mm -hmm. and it's in front of you and you've had tea with it and you've had compassion for those parts of yourselves, because it's always related to a strategy. You know, all of these wounds and the way we respond to them is how we survive our childhood. And they all have gifts, right? Like yeah. you were just saying before we shot that you're very, you know, you're OCD, right? You jokingly <laughs> call yourself OCD because you're making sure all the lights and the cameras and everything are all set. That's an amazing gift, right? That's an amazing gift that you are so on top of it and you're so detail oriented and you've got it all covered. That's the light, beautiful side of the gift. There's also a shadow and a wound underneath that gift. Ooh. Right? And that's, that's the way it is with our wounds too. There's a beautiful gift. It's a strategy, right? It's probably a strategy that you adopted really early in a chaotic environment that somehow made you feel safe, that made you feel like you could control your environment and mm. calmed your nervous system down when you did things that, the few things you could do that made you feel in control of your environment. And so that's, that's the wound underneath it, but it's a beautiful gift. It's just that you want to call on the gift rather than have the gift just choose you. That's so freaking amazing. And I've heard you also talk about like, um, if you have big, beautiful, incredible, audacious dreams for your online business, but you actually lack the confidence in your ability to then actually make it happen. And I promise you, my homie, and I say this with all the love and compassion in my heart, your company will never get where you want it to go. I've been there, guys. In Growing Quest, I had to face myself every day. I didn't know what I was doing. And I really wish that I had Shopify at the time. Because when you choose to grow your business with Shopify, you have everything you need to make your dreams a reality. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you at 
every stage of your business, from launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with their incredible Magic AI, award-winning customer service, and the internet's best converting checkout, you literally have everything you need to make all of your amazing businesses' dreams a reality. And that's exactly why I adore and love Shopify. If you're serious about growing your freaking badass business and you want to build your confidence and have faith, then Shopify is here for you. So go over right now and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa, all lowercase guys. Again, that is go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business no matter where you are and what stage it's in. One more time, that's shopify.com slash Lisa. You won't regret it. I'm going to be utterly honest. There is little more damaging to your confidence than feeling weak and helpless and just struggling to get the care that you actually need from your doctor. And trust me, guys, I unfortunately speak from experience because when I was struggling with crippling, crippling gut issues about nine years ago now, it took me years, years to find a doctor that not only could I connect with, but a doctor that actually would listen, wouldn't gaslight me and actually take my words and my experience as truth so that they could actually eventually help me heal and not just to give me another freaking pill and then push me out the door. But now, my homie, you don't have to struggle to find the right doctor for you you anymore. And that's thanks to ZocDoc. ZocDoc is an absolutely free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and then instantly book appointments with them online. And with ZocDoc, you can actually filter by insurance, location and specialities to find the perfect fit for you, not for your friend, not for anyone else, but for you. Plus, on top of that, you can actually go and read verified reviews from real patients to find the doctor that you can actually trust. And typically, wait times for booking an appointment are days, not weeks. Because let's face it, when you're sick, you need to see someone right now. So my homie, do not, I repeat, do not neglect your health. Instead, go over to ZocDoc dot com slash Lisa and download the ZocDoc app for absolutely free. Then find and book a top rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash Lisa. ZocDoc dot com slash Lisa. What do you actually want to feel? Yes, that's everything. Because how much of us whether we're starting dating in the middle of a relationship, you're like, do they tick the boxes? Yes. Right? Do they have, do they earn a certain amount? Do they want children? Do they, you know, what religion are they? Yeah. Those are kind of like the yeah. boxes we normally tick. Yes. But I love, that, you know, I've heard you say, like, actually write down five feelings yes. you want from that person. That's all that matters. Honestly, anything you want, including in love, but anything you want to happen in your life or that you want to acquire or achieve, it is only because you want a certain feeling. That's it. The only reason you want that fancy house or fancy car is because how you imagine you're gonna feel when you (laughs) have that thing. The only reason you want that kind of partner, whatever that description is, is because of how we wanna feel. But we never start with the feelings. And the reason it's so important is because That's our internal motivation anyway. So you're cutting out all the crap and you're getting clear. But also, it turns out on an energetic level, we are creating our own reality Mm -hmm. at all times. We are energetic beings. We are full atomic energy. And our energy, it's like a frequency that is constantly shifting and changing. And we're constantly matching each other, right? So you and I are doing what's called entrainment right now. So our frequencies are kind of finding a happy medium. In fact, you're probably in training to me only because I'm consciously holding a frequency. Interesting. Okay. And so our frequency is actually set by our feelings. Mm. So if you get clear on the main, you know, it's not the height, the job, the kids, the if you woke up every single day next to the person of your dreams, how would you feel? Would you feel safe? Would you feel playful? Would you feel adventurous? Would you feel um, passionate? Would you feel connected? Mm. You know, what are the feelings you most want to feel in love? And then that becomes your compass for everything, not just dating. Every decision you make, 
and this is how I make New Year's resolutions. I make feeling resolutions so that every decision I make, does this contribute to how I want to feel or not? And if not, no, thank you. And that's amazing. Do you, um, do you suggest people then do that um, initially before going, like, let's say, meeting somebody? Um, and then how often do you assess that? Because I, I think as you were talking, I was like, I don't know if my list would be the same when I first met my husband mm-hmm. compared to now. Yeah. So how do you know what partner to choose based on the fact that you're always going to grow? Or is it like things that you'll always want, like safety? Yes. At no point in your age do you go, ah, I don't care about yeah. the safety aspect anymore. Right. Yeah. And it's okay if it changes because who you are when you get together with someone may be very different than who you are 10 years from now. Yeah. Probably will be. How the two of you can grow together and evolve with those changes says everything about whether you're going to last or not right? Mm -hmm. But you still can't get past, if you're looking for love right now, how you want to feel. You can't think about, you don't know who you're going to be 10 years from now to think about how you're going to feel, right? And all that is real is right now. I mean, God forbid, anything can happen anytime, right? Mm -hmm. So we don't know what's going to happen an hour from now, much less 10 years from now. Mm -hmm. The only thing we know is real is this right here, right now. And so how do I want to feel? Now, if I get clear, if I were looking for love and I were to say, you know, the three top feelings that I most want to feel in love with my ideal partner is playful, connected and romantic. Right. I am now going to marinate in those feelings as much as possible, not necessarily even in my dating life, because I may not even have a date yet, but I'm going to look for opportunities to feel connected. I'm going to call in situations that make me feel uh, playful, right? And as you do that, that becomes your energetic frequency. And then you become a magnet, literally, to people and situations that match that feeling, that match that frequency, including romantic partners. Mm -hmm. So if you, you know, in the way, what the way that I like to teach this is two ways. One is to look for those opportunities just to be in the energy of those feelings you most want to feel as much as possible. Amen. That's a really fun way to live. Right. But also to move there in your imagination. So I even do this in my almost 20 year marriage to my husband. If I'm about to have a conversation with him that I know may be touchy for him, or I want him to show up a certain way in the relationship, I go there in my mind's eye, like I almost do a meditation. And you can do this before a date, even if you don't know who that person is and they have no face, right? But here's the key to moving your body into the frequency of feelings through your imagination, is that the body and the brain don't know the difference between reality and rehearsal, okay? So when you are imagining, but you have to imagine in first person as if it's happening right here, right now. So you're not watching yourself. Okay. But you're in the scene, right? So you want to feel, you know, adventurous in your relationship. Let's just choose that feeling. In your mind's eye, you either think of a time that you felt unbelievably adventurous with someone and were having an amazing adventure, or you make up a fantasy in your mind of some future partner and you're climbing Mount Kilimanjaro or something, right? Whatever that is. But you are in the scene. You can see your feet, your hands. You're literally in that scene, in your mind. And you literally just sit there for five or 10 minutes imagining yourself in that scenario. And what is happening is your body is literally moving into the frequency Hmm. of that sensation. And Is that like, as you were talking, I was like, wow, that would be really powerful as a way for me to identify when I meet someone, if it kind of matches the sensation that I've, yes, I've created on my own. Yes. Because you will repel people (laughs) who are not going to match your frequency. Yeah. This literally, as you were talking, I was like, that's so freaking smart. And also I've heard you say, which is hilarious, but like, like the, you do not complete me. Like no No. one completes you. Um, That movie set us all up for disaster. Oh my God, that pisses Um, me off so badly. (laughs) But is part of this then kind of the antidote to, for people that wait for someone to complete them, where they're they're envisioning it because you're creating that emotion yourself. You're not almost like waiting for someone else to do it. And by the way, anytime you are sourcing your fulfillment outside yourself, you're going to eventually fail. Mm. It is not sustainable to source 
your your the, your the feelings you most want to feel from outside yourself then you are always at the effect of other people and situations and then you're trying to control everything right. which is impossible it's yeah. impossible it's, i'll tell that to your little ocd self too like it's <laughs> impossible to control anything yeah, yeah the only thing we or anyone the only thing we can control is how we respond to things mm -hmm. right that's it and so when you spend time marinating in the energies of those feelings that you just want to live your life in, I'm not even talking about love, right? This mm. is the secret behind the secret. This is what's underneath manifesting, right? If I write myself a check for a million dollars, you know, and just put it on the table and say, why isn't a million dollars showing up? It's not going to show up. But if I am living in the frequency of the feeling that I would have mm. when I have that million dollars mm. in my pocket and it's here right now and I'm in the energy of that feeling, that's when manifestation happens. I love that because I'm all about having a North Star and making sure you know what that North Star yes. is. And so I've never really thought of it from a feeling. I've always thought of it from a goal. Right. right. So it's like I set a goal. OK, the goal is to get the company to be at this point by this day. OK, am I there? Yes or no. But I never thought about it from a feeling standpoint. Right. That's so beautiful. And then you add a whole new layer. I mean, obviously, that's working for you, right? You've achieved a lot of goals, but it's achieving it through flow rather than force when mm, you do it mm -hmm, this way. And mm -hmm. it's adding huge momentum behind it. Yeah. So if you spend time as you're imagining, and when I achieve this goal, this, this, and this will happen. Okay, let me just tune in for a minute. Let me put myself in that situation in first person in my mind's eye. What do I feel in my body? What does that feel like? What, 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 how would I name that mm -hmm. feeling? Is it joy? Is it excitement? Is it peace? Is it calm you know how am i going to feel when that goal is achieved and then that's what you want to cultivate that's so beautiful i love that the problem that i actually as you were saying goals the one thing that i found is it's never usually what you think it's going to be no like people will look at even my relationship with my husband and it's like, oh my God, you're so lucky. And you, you know, it's like, you know how freaking hard work it is? <laughs> like, so me and my husband, we joke about like yes. how exhausting it is. It's, it's a whole other business. It is. And so people, I think, see long-term successful marriages and have a understanding of how they think it will feel. And so the truth is, is that it's never going to be like, I talk about phases, right? Relationship yes. has its phases. You do a scan of someone that's just met someone for the first time and the intoxication, it looks like they were on cocaine. Yes, that's, it, literally their brain is responding like it's on cocaine. When they look at people's brains, when they're in a brand new, it's called the infatuation stage, mm -hmm. can't get enough of each other. Your brain, the dopamine centers of your brain are firing like crazy, which is the same addiction center that gets you addicted to coke or anything else. Yeah, and so that's fascinating to me because it also makes me understand why people do stay in relationships probably longer yeah. than they should because yeah. they're trying to get it back. Back, yes. Um, and actually, I have a quote of yours about relationships and people being in them too long because I think the intoxication part of it and the chemistry part mm -hmm. of it and then the want of wanting to feel a certain yes. way, um, even when you don't get it, there's multiple things. There's one that you, like people say, they're pot committed if you play poker, right? Yeah, yeah. Where it's like, well, I've spent six years with yeah, this person. Yeah, yeah. I can't just leave now. I don't want to start over. I don't want to start over. And then you've got another quote of yours where it says, the pain of being in the relationship has to be greater than your fear of leaving Always. it. Always. Or you're not going to leave. Nope. Dude, that was so strong. That's, it's so true. When you are staying in a relationship out of fear, which let's face it, 99% of those relationships that we really should be leaving, that we stay in, we're yeah. staying out of fear of consequences, financial fears, fear about the kids, fear there won't be anyone better, fear I won't find anyone better, fear I've lost too much time. I mean, name your poison, right? There are a million different fears. What has to happen in those cases from, you know, is either you address those fears, which let's face it, most of us don't do, mm -hmm. right? Or eventually, and it always gets there, eventually the pain of being in that stuck place becomes greater than those fears that are keeping you stuck. How many people waste their time though between that, like where they're kind of new? Yeah. And it becomes like you try, but those years that you're trying really like, in fact, how do you bypass spending those years yeah. where you get to the point where it's like, all right, now it's just too bad I have yeah. to leave versus yeah. like you, you just spent two years on something that you kind of knew from the get go. You know, I'm I'm a big 
believer that in divine timing. And I know there are often regrets when people finally leave and they're like, Mm. why the frick did I waste so much time? Right. But once they get over that, they do learn a lot of really important soul lessons from that time, right? So yeah, I would like everyone to get out when the getting's good and not wait too long. But here's the cool thing, and this is something I discovered basically with quantum love, is that I had always been, and still am a couples therapist, but like most couples therapists, I ideally had both partners in the room with me. And if one of them didn't want to come or wasn't ready to come, a lot of our work with the other one was getting that person in the door Mm -hmm. or doing as much as I could indirectly since they wouldn't come in. What I have found with working with the energy and the feelings and moving yourself into the frequency of those intentions for your relationship is that I can actually help change the relationship with just one of you. Because when you change what's going on inside you, you have to be ready because everything around you will change. And what, and this is what happens when you start practicing this in a love relationship that isn't working for you. Either you're doing your work and you're raising your frequency and you're clearing the stuff that's in the way. The higher your frequency is, the better your life is gonna go. So anything from living primarily in curiosity, optimism, excitement, joy, um, forgiveness, those are all high frequency energies that are gonna create much more. Shame, anger, fear, guilt and shame. Shame is the lowest, then guilt frequency, right? That's gonna create more of that. So when you start working just individually and living in those higher frequencies, what I call home frequency, first, your life gets so much better in all aspects. In your relationship, your partner, and it's, it's amazing to me, in love relationships, we are, we are what they call quantum entangled. Our atoms are literally entangled. They've been able to show that couples' heart rates synchronize even when they aren't sleeping in the same bed. <laughs> and you know, there was a University of Washington study where they took a couple and when they shined a light in the eye of one, the ocular receptors in the brain of the other lit up. Like we're so, we're so entwined that what happens is as you raise and hold a certain frequency, your partner literally entrains to you automatically. And so it's like a Jedi mind trick for your relationship. (laughs) It is crazy. And so often in our love relationships where our partner isn't showing up the way we want, the relationship will just naturally disintegrate. Mm. It will no longer feel so scary and painful because now you are living in a different place. You are stronger. You've done all this healing. So the fears that kept you in that relationship fall away. And now you're in choice in your relationship. And that is everything. Because if you're not in choice, you can't ever get your needs met. If, if you're not going to be okay and whole, not that you wouldn't be devastated if that relationship ended and maybe curl up in a ball for a while and be scared, but you know fundamentally you'll be okay and that your happiness and your peace and your joy and the ways you wanna feel is sourced in your relationship with yourself. And anytime we're having a relationship with someone else, we really are only having a relationship with ourselves through that other person (laughs) anyway, right? When you recognize all of that and you can create your own happiness, right? I want to be with you, it's a choice. And if I can't get my needs met, I can leave. Ooh, that was so powerful. Okay, there's a couple of things that you just said that I really want to go into. Um, I'm a bit of a skeptic, mm-hmm. um, but everything you just said makes so much sense to me. And the reason why, and I, again, it's one of these, like I, I personally can't even explain it and, yeah. and you do such a great job. But like when you're around, um, let's say five of your friends and you're with each other all the time, yeah. the fact that your, your hormones sync up and your periods yes. sync up, yes. like I wouldn't have believed it. Yes. And so understanding how you become on the same frequency as your partner, like actually you laid out so beautifully. And then there was another piece that I thought, oh, when you start stepping into that, I think you start acting differently as well, mm-hmm. right? So you start setting boundaries that maybe once upon a time you didn't. Absolutely. Any boundary you don't set is out of fear fear of consequences, fear of abandonment, fear of judgment. Mm. Um, And we're not even always conscious of those fears, right? right? But yeah, absolutely. Everything changes for the better. So whether whatever happens in the relationship, your whole life is going to get better. But here's, you know, I, when I wrote this book, I wrote it with my husband in mind, who I jokingly call Senor Root Chakra, because he is so pragmatic. (laughs) 
and <laughs> such a skeptic. So like I have a whole chapter in there that is just laying out the science. But, you know, and I don't mind skeptics. I was a skeptic before I really understood this too. But here's the fundamental truth that we know for a fact. We are taking in 40 billion bits of information into our brains every millisecond. But we are only consciously processing, consciously processing 2,000 bits wow. of the 40 billion bits wow. of information we're taking in. So we just then taking in the things that are familiar to us? Well, the oh. way our conscious brain works, it's called an envelope mechanism. We can only understand things and make sense of things based on our memories. Right. So, so that's all we can process consciously. Right. And we can also, we're also limited by our five senses, right? But there's a whole universe happening around us that, and in us and between us that we have no clue about because we're limited by our conscious minds and our five senses. Yeah, wow, that's so true, I love that. The, I mean, it's funny how you like, we're limited by it, you're right. Um, and isn't it though, I think women have like a, a, is it a fourth or a fifth a color receptor that most men don't? And we also have more connection between our left and right hemispheres. We have a lot of interaction there. So that's why women can be multitasking, we are a lot more intuitive. Uh, we're more capable of those more psychic sixth sense mm -hmm. understandings than many men are. Not that men aren't, but we just have that natural ability. All right. So let's talk about the difference between genders. I know it's, it's a little of a bit of a muddly situation yes. discussion right now, but um, I really want to talk about it because I do think there's a fundamental difference between um, at least me and my husband. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to say that me and my husband, there's a massive fundamental difference between us. And the thing that we say a lot, and I've heard you say, and I'd really love to just have a really beautiful, honest conversation about it. Women want to feel loved to have sex. Men want sex to feel loved. Yes. It is one of the most controversial things me and my husband have ever spoken about. Um, and so I'd love for you to talk about that. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. And I don't, you know, it's partly in their, in men's DNA and how they evolved you know, during caveman times and the desire to spread your seed and all of those, you know, DNA type impulses, right? It's also because of the way they've been socialized and everything else. So for women, women, uh, we feel clo emotional closeness, emotional intimacy through sharing, connecting, spending time together, you know, for some of us cuddling, you know, physical affection, right? But men achieve that same sense of emotional closeness primarily their primary vehicle is through the physical act of sex. Mm. So what happens is, and this is what the, I, you know, I did national research years ago on what the most sexually satisfied women have in common. Ooh. And the cool part and interesting part to me is that it wasn't how many orgasms they had or anything else about the technique of the partner. It was the emotional closeness they felt to the person they just had sex with that most predicted for their sexual satisfaction above and beyond anything mm. else. And it is also the thing that inspires women, especially in a long-term relationship after you get through that infatuation stage, right? When you move into what scientists call the attachment phase, um, your desire to be sexual, the myth is that it comes from spontaneous horniness like it did in the beginning of the relationship. Most women in a long-term relationship for many different reasons we can get into, don't have a ton, they do have it, but they don't have a ton of spontaneous horniness. They are inspired and they don't, they don't know to access this, but they are inspired to be sexual from a feeling of I'm close with, I wanna connect with you, I love you, I feel connected to you, I wanna show you my love in a way that lands, I wanna even merge closer to you, I wanna feel held by you, I want you inside, you know, whatever that is but it's coming from an, a sense of connection mm. at its core. And so what happens is once a woman loses interest in sex because she's not spontaneously horny and she's busy and she's distracted and she just doesn't have that natural impulse to be sexual and that's not what makes her feel connected to her partner anyway, she's less available for sex. And then he, because he's not having sex with her, doesn't feel that emotional connection and closeness. 
So he unconsciously, it's not like he's intending to punish her. He unconsciously pulls back. He's less likely to be romantic and send those sweet texts and cuddle and reach out to her in those emotional ways that make her feel close to him. And then because she doesn't feel close to him, she's that much less inspired to be sexual with him. So that's the sex romance stalemate, right? She's not having sex with him. He's less romantic and connected. He's less romantic and connected. She doesn't want to have sex with him and so on and so forth. Knowing you should eat healthy is one thing. You know, on a Monday after you've had a weekend of utter food debauchery, but actually doing it day after day after day, in and out every single day, let's be real, is freaking a lot harder. Especially when it's hard to find high quality animal proteins that aren't overprocessed or pumped with hormones and other harmful ingredients that cause freaking chaos to your body, your hormones, and yep, your brain. And that's why I utterly recommend to anyone that will possibly listen that you source your meats and seafood from my favorite brand where unbelievable high quality is guaranteed. And that's my mate, ButcherBox. I literally am obsessed with them, guys, and I eat their food every single day. Hence why I just keep a box in my kitchen. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service that delivers the high quality meats and seafood directly to your door. So if you're freaking busy, you don't have to waste time. You can choose from different cuts of 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork-raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood with no added hormones or antibiotics ever, ever, ever. Now, ButcherBox makes it so easy to eat better with the best meats and seafood on the planet that you can actually trust, just like I do. So sign up right now at butcherbox.com slash W-O-I and get our special deal right now. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast or steak tips free in every order for an entire year. So sign up today at butcherbox.com slash W-O-I for Women of Impact and use code W-O-I to choose your free for a year offer. Plus you get $20 off your first order right now. Go over, you won't regret it. If you're working damn hard to kick ass and be unfreaking stoppable, there's one thing I know for a fact that you need to actually show up confident and ready for anything. And that's sleep. That's why I want to introduce you to the secret to better sleep, Cozy Earth. Cozy Earth's luxury bedding products are crafted with temperature regulating technology so you're not waking up covered in sweat and then shivering 10 minutes later. And they use super soft and breathable materials that literally feel like a cloud on your skin. I'm officially obsessed. They are literally the softest sheets I've ever felt and so I definitely would recommend giving Cozy Earth a try. Treat yourself right now to ultimate comfort with Cozy Earth bedding and make your sleep a priority so that you can actually show up every day with confidence and kick ass. Click the link below or head over to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code LISA to save an exclusive 35% off right now. Upgrade your nights, transform your days with Cozy Earth. You just explained it so perfectly <laughs> because that's the thing. It's like um, w- we had an interview. It was with Sting, and he would, yeah. someone said like, "What's what's the the magic to your relationship?" And he said something like, "Well, I have sex for twelve hours." Mm-hmm. Now, what he actually meant, and then that rumor went around. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, he does this tantric mm-hmm. sex for twelve hours. Mm-hmm. He's like, guys, I don't actually have sex for twelve hours, but my sex with my wife starts in the morning when yes. I kiss her yes. good morning. It's when I tell her at 10 a.m. that she looks beautiful. Yes. It's at 11 when I make her a hot tea. You know, he's like, that's what the sex is for my yes. wife. She needs the 12 hours so that we can get to the last, you know, 30 minutes or yes. whatever. That's what I always say. Men, women are like a slow burning stove. Men are like a microwave oven, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so you got to stoke the flames mm. all the time so that she's feeling that connection and foreplay. I mean, that's, there was a, several studies done, I, which does makes total sense to me that men who do housework in a real, you know, in a couple get significantly more sex than men who don't. And that's really for two reasons. First, cause he's taking stuff off her plate that she gets too stressed about and then doesn't want to have sex because mm. she's got to clean. But also more importantly, that's a form of love because mm. he's showing her that he's invested in the nest and he wants to help and he's taking things off her plate and she feels cared for and seen and partnered with and allied with and close to him and then wants to have sex with him. 
Oh, that's so beautiful because it's beautiful to the way you've broken it down because you know, we've really spoken in this interview, it's like when you first meet someone, what are the, the, the tips and the, the, how do we set each other up for success in order to have a long-term relationship? And then I think about long-term relationships. Mm-hmm. And when I was younger, I would see couples that had been married for a long time. And I would hear women that would say, he's not romantic, you know, basically would spend an hour moaning and mm-hmm. complaining about mm-hmm. what their partner isn't doing. And then in that same breath, they're like, yeah, and it's his birthday today, so I've got to give it up. And like as a kid, I remember, not as a kid, but yeah. I mean, no, as a kid, I remember thinking like, that feels counterintuitive. Yeah. It's saying that you want something from them, but yet at the same time, you're passing judgment on what they want. Yes. And so that never sat well with me. And then as I got older and I started to do these interviews and talking with you, it's like there's a big gap between like how when you first meet someone, there's this immense infatuation. And like you were saying at the beginning, like yeah. the butterflies, yeah. oh my God, this was meant to be. I've yes. known them my whole life. And then you flash forward 10, 15 years and you end up in this situation. Yes. Um, and where along the lines are those traps in relationships that we fall into? And so you, the way that you broke it down is beautiful because I used to hear women judge men. Yeah or their partners on wanting to be intimate. Yeah, and that hurt, that breaks my heart because mm-hmm. I try to explain to women that he is, he's not trying to punish you. You know, she'll say to him, why aren't you romantic anymore? Well, you know, if he's at all aware, he might say, well, we haven't had sex in six months or yeah. three months. And then she says, oh, you're only gonna be nice to me if I have. She doesn't understand that her not being sexually available for a man who has a healthy libido is like him being unwilling to ask you about your day or hold your hand. Oh. Like that's what it feels like. The, the level of rejection and disconnect. And, and it's big, it's really big. And I don't think women, and the other thing that I think puts us in this position as women is that most of us were never allowed by society or our families or encouraged to develop our own relationship with our sexuality. Mm. So sex from the very beginning was transactional, which it's not supposed to be. So sex was a way to get the guy, a way to keep them, a way to get a ring on it, a way to have a baby, a way to keep them from going over there, a way, a way, a way to get them to be nice to me. The honey-do list, right? Like he'll do the honey-do list once I have, you know, it's a transaction, Mm. but they don't have their own relationship with their own bodies and their own sexuality for its own sake, which men do, which is why they need it and want it. And also all those other DNA reasons, but but women don't. So a lot of the healing that needs to happen with, I find, with women stuck in this sex romance stalemate, you know, is obviously there's the medical things, hormones, medications, things that inhibit your response and your mm. libido that I never want to ignore and relationship dynamics. But a huge part of it is your own relationship with your sexuality for its own sake. Because once you have that, then there's much more hmm. connection, right? This I remember this rabbi telling this joke that if you put a jelly bean in a jar for every time you have sex before you get married and you take one out for every time you have sex after you get married, you're gonna end up with a big jar of jelly beans at the end, <laughs> right? And the reason for that is- Oh, it's heartbreaking. That's why men complain. Once, we, once you put a ring on a dude, you won't get laid ever. The reason for that is because you have married someone like 99% of women in this country who, for whom sex is unconsciously transactional. Oh, wow, God, that really hit me hard. Like, because I hear you like a currency, right? You're kind of using it as a way to get what you want. And so are you saying by examining yourself, by examining like what you actually like, it now no longer becomes a, well, what am I going to get from it? It's just like, this freaking feels amazing. amazing. (laughs) This This is the most sacred, amazing gift that we are given our sexuality. There's there, and the connection that that creates in your relationship is indescribable and irreplaceable. And, but even separate from your relationship, the relationship it gives you with your body, what it does to your body, the health benefits of it. And by the way, it's the highest frequency experience. It's major mass manifesting energy. Mm-hmm. It's that bliss, orgasm is that bliss energy that most of us don't spend a lot of time in unless we're Dalai Lama up on a mountaintop, right? So that's an opportunity to really experience physical bliss. So how do you start to unwind that past? Because to your point, I mean, I was told the same. It's like, it wasn't that it was bad or I was going to, you know, go to hell. It was never that intense. I know some people do hear that. 
Um, but for me, it was just, it was never discussed. It right. was never um, a topic. It was never encouraged. Right, um, which is a message in itself. Yeah. Silence is a message. Right. So how do you now, assuming that most people listening are hopefully adults, um, how would you suggest someone that is like listening to start exploring their body, to start, because yeah. to your point, I think you said, is it 30% of couples end up with bed, uh, bed death? Yeah, more than that. I would say that um, there there is a stat that at least 40% of couples, ha- ha- by their, I mean, this is just the couples that report it, have sexless marriages. Yeah. Um, and even those relationships where women are having sex, they often aren't that into it. They're doing it just to kind of mm-hmm. maintain mm-hmm. things. They're kind of either faking orgasms. So, you know, I, I can't tell you how many men have told me that she's, like, I've even heard stories where men have told me, and their partner's sitting right there and she admits it, you know, that she says, wake me up when it's over or don't leave me in the wet spot or just like get it over with. So it's like this physical release that he just needs to do. And you know, that's it. Yeah. And, um, and, and that's because she's not, she doesn't have her own relationship with herself. So the way I think, I think every woman, um, and I gave you a little toy before. So yeah, brackets, but... Honestly, come on now. Don't, guys, do I not have the best freaking job ever? She comes with <laughs> sex toys. This is like literally the best job but ever. But that's the thing. You have to practice. You have to really get into the experience through self-stimulation and self-reverence and self-exploration of really claiming your own sexual experience mm. for, by, and with yourself. And what happens for a lot of women is that they learn a lot during that time about how they like to be touched and don't like to be touched and what feels good and what doesn't feel good and whatever else. But for many women who may already know that, but still have had this transactional connection, mm-hmm. which I would say is almost all women, um, they going through the process of really having sex with yourself mm-hmm. in a loving, reverent way for no purpose other than pleasure and self-connection. It's like a, a, a skill set and a, and, a, and a capacity that is inside all of us that just needs to be awakened. I a thousand percent agree. Is there like that first, there's someone that already, that sees it as shame or sees yeah. it as like, oh, I wouldn't do that. Or, you know, almost like dismisses it. Cause yeah. what you're saying is so freaking powerful that I'm thinking about the person that doesn't quite believe it yet or yeah. wants to, really wants to, but it has so many years tied up of, um, you shouldn't. Don't touch yourself. Well, I mean, first of all, if you don't love your genitals, how can you expect anyone else to? Hmm. Like seriously, I'm telling you, self-stimulation is the key to your pleasure. It's the key to your power. It's the key to your sexual power. It's the key to your ability to get aroused. And it's the key to your libido. Because first of all, where attention goes, energy flows. And if you don't use it, you lose it. You really do. Physically, you got to keep the plumbing clean. You got to keep the blood flow going. Mm. So if you're, you know, even if you aren't having sex with your partner for some reason, if you can continually self-stimulate, you are, it's so good for your health. It's so good for your immune system, for your blood pressure, for depression, for migraines, for your immune system. And there's so many benefits to sexual pleasure with a partner or without. That was like the best ad for masturbation. <laughs> and thank you for saying that. And the reason why I really want to talk about this, like I used to be the one, I wouldn't even say the word sex. That's how bashful <laughs> I was. So I need people to yeah. know that who they see today and being able to talk about it has because I've gone through my own yes. evolution. And I was the one that was told it's for the guy, right? So right. when the, my first boyfriend who I you know, lost my virginity to, it was for him. Yes. I didn't freaking enjoy it at all until I met my husband. Right. And it was because I felt safe. He encouraged me. He um, he was patient. He was patient. He welcomed it. He and so like all these things, I didn't feel the pressure. I felt mm-hmm. like the the idea and the notion of I'd be judged for it. He kind of like really did help break that down. Um, and then just in that evolution allowed us to be a very honest with each other. And I yes. think that that's a big part. You actually said the mismatched libidos. How many people don't even talk about no, the fact that they're they mismatched? No, they don't talk about it. And then he, you know, the one with the higher libido, men often, especially nowadays, are struggling with low libido. I think about one in five men have low libido. Mm-hmm. But it's usually the female. And, you know, if you think about it, our bodies still haven't, caught up evolved with modern technology you know Mm. our bodies haven't 
we're not supposed to live past our reproductive years. Several hundred years ago, that's what we died, you know, 50 was like the equivalent of 85 today, mm -hmm. right? So to live half of our lives beyond our hormonal ideal, right? A woman in her, who's in her 20s has twice the testosterone that a woman in her 60s has, that hormone of desire and sexual response. So it's slowly declining and we're living such a long time so that the, the, even the physiologic underpinnings of a healthy libido starts to disintegrate as we get older. And so, I mean, that's a whole other conversation about hormone therapy that I'm, you know, I'm a, like I say, I'm not an MD, but, but the thing to remember is that when we're young, for many of us, sex is easy. When we're in a new relationship, for many of us, sex is easy. It's about sourcing your sexual desire from your own relationship with your sexuality and expressing that, and from a desire to express closeness, connection, and love with your partner. And what I hear from women all the time who have low libido is like, yeah, I would rather be watching Bridgerton. I'd rather be doing more things on my to-do list. Mm -hmm. But once I do it, I think, hey, this was fun. I should do this more often. But I just don't, right? So what is that then? That little thing that so once it, it's kind of like going to a party where you're like, I really yeah. can't be bothered to go. And then you go and you actually have fun. Right, right. But the Same next time thing. you really don't want to get dressed again to yes. go to the party. Yes. Or go to the gym, right? But but it's a habit and it's a practice. Okay. And it's also about mm. the rewards it reaps. Mm. And then it kind of sex begets more sex. I find that once couples start, mm. and, and, and it often, you know, I'm a huge fan, even though it doesn't match the Hollywood movie a depiction of, of sexual relationships, I am a huge fan of scheduling sex, huge. Because it takes all the guesswork out, you know, because what happens when you're not having sex is the one that still wants it is scared to kiss or cuddle <laughs> you because you might think they're trying to start something and they don't want to be rejected or you won't reach out to them. Like there's all, the, there's an 800 pound gorilla in the room with you, right? Yes. So if you know that on Saturday, you know, it can be different times every week or the same, every couple's different that's when we're going to have sex then there's all this openness and and freedom to connect and to play and to be affectionate and to stoke that stove right and then you know you're prepared for it and, i love that and so then much. you're ready and you have sex and then you're like hey this was fun and then it creates less guesswork the 800 pound gorilla can leave the room and then there's so much more freedom and the other thing i like couples to do in between their sex dates is to make sure that they spend you know at least an hour it can be split up a week kissing cuddling no sex kissing cuddling talking without technology and not about the logistics of their lives. Mm. And most couples don't talk more than, they talk maximum 15 minutes a week about things other than the logistics of their lives. And that's, you know, they'll talk a lot about the logistics, but 15 minutes max. And they're not spending time together because they're sitting next to each other with their technology. So, and they're not kissing and cuddling and being affectionate because one of them doesn't want sex and it's all mm. awkward. So once you kind of create this, what I find happens, especially because women, including those women with low desire, they really miss that non-sexual physical affection. They love making out, they love cuddling, but they won't initiate it because they don't want him to get too excited because they don't want to have sex. But once sex is off the table, except that time, then there's all this freedom to get all into it and have fun. And boy, is your stove stoked. God, it's so true. Everything you just said, I was like, oh my God, it's the things that we don't really talk about. It's the things that we kind of ignore. Mm -hmm. um, me and my husband, absolutely, we don't call it like a sex date, but we, we absolutely schedule dates. And mm -hmm. that's the only time that we can both switch off. Mm -hmm. And then of 99.999% of the time, it ends in sex. So we do know that. And then we've started to as well... Um, spend the morning of our date getting ready yes. for sex. Yes. So it's kind of like, sometimes, you know, it's like, I'll, I'll trim his like chest hair. Yeah, or you'll you know. shave your oh, legs. Yeah, yes. and so, but we do it together. Yeah. And he'll even come and just keep me company if I'm shaving my legs. Aww. Because now it feels like we're actually spending it's time foreplay. together. And it's foreplay, yeah. And then the other thing that me and my husband do, we have a rule. Um, I'll never, ever, ever make him feel guilty for asking for sex. Good. And he can never, ever, ever make me feel guilty for saying no. Good. 
and those are just like and it it became like this beautiful like oh yeah that's the way so much lifted. pressure off because to your point where the woman's like i just want to cuddle but i'm so freaking scared that if i cuddle him he's gonna want he's gonna be turned on yeah yeah and then you have to be able and with the sex dates it also has to be okay to say no like let's say you're really not feeling well or but you really don't want like that's the last resort. Mm. And if you do say no on a sex date, you are responsible for rescheduling it as quickly as possible. You know, you don't wait another week and you and you get it in there because at a bare minimum, what I want to see healthy couples is at least once a week and ideally never going more than a few weeks with that deep physical connection. Oh, Dr. Laura Berman, I could talk to you forever. This was so much fun. Where can people find you, find your book, and just all the incredible things that you're doing? Um, well, I have my podcast is The Language of Love, which you can find anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, if you go to my website, drlauraberman.com, it has all the books, links to the YouTube channel. Uh, if you go to the Quantum Love page, um, you can get all the meditations for grounding yourself, for moving into those frequencies of that which you most want to create. Um, and on social media, all at Dr. Laura Berman as well. Amazing. Guys, 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 you got to go check her out, check her <laughs> book out, check her website out, check out her videos. She's freaking awesome. I learned so much from being around this woman. So go check her out. If you're not following me, follow me at Lisa Billiou. And if you're not subscribed, click the subscribe button. And until next time, guys, be the hero of your own life. Peace. <laughs>